So today as we look at the Chichen Itza, we're going to look at this wonder, but really what they wondered about. And it's all the things we all wonder about. So as we move our way into the map to the, to the Chichen Itza, we're going to find who are we? Who is God? What's the purpose of life? And what happens when we die? They believe there was a great sun god. And mankind was made by that sun god as animated or empowered corn. And, and the, the purpose of your life and mine is to follow the corn cycle. We are born, we grow, we, we are fruitful, then we wear out and we return to the ground. Very close to Hinduism. They believe that we'd rebelled against the gods and what the gods required to exist was nourishment. And what they sadly ate was human flesh. So they would kill their children and their friends and their enemies through a variety of very br <coughs> brutal things in order to appease the gods. And often they saw the, the, the cenotes as a portal to the next world. And so they would throw people into those portals to prepare them for the next life and to appease the gods. But even that didn't give you any hope that you had appeased the gods. So they have another legend of Quetzaltal. This, this is this character, Quetzalcoatl. <laughs> Let me try it again. Quetzalcoatl. And it was a, a picture of a deity that came from the heavens, descended into the sacred portal to the underworld, put his blood on the bones of those who deceased so they could live again. In the midst of the picture, it's hard to see it, but he actually has a snake head on the top of him. He was the snake deity. And here you see kind of remnants of like a little maybe Christianity in there. You need blood to raise the dead, a little bit of Hinduism. You just see all these different questions that human beings ask. And that's what we want to do in this series. We want to travel around the world and also look at different civilizations answer the big questions in life. Have you ever wondered why we wonder as human beings? Like, why aren't we just satisfied? Why, why do we need things to be wonderful? Why does our work need to have meaning? Why does our life need to have meaning? Why can't we just kind of live and die? You ever wondered why we wonder? Why we want things to be wonderful or wonder-filled? Why, when we think about the next life, we want there to be a wonderland with no death where we live again and there's a new beginning? You ever wondered why we wonder that? Well, the Mayans certainly did. So at the Chichen Itza, one of the things that you see is that there are, there's a system called uh, cenotes, and they're really a whole system of underground cave systems. They go for hundreds of miles through Belize, through Cancun, and through Mexico. And in this particular one, they believe through underground penetrating radar that there's a cenote underneath Chichen Itza itself. However, they're not allowed to dig that thing up. So nearby is what they call the sacred cenote. Now again, this is the Mayans considered a gateway to the, to the underworld, and yet you see tourists swimming there all the time. <laughs> now I've never been to that one, but our family did get a chance to go to Cancun, which also has a whole series of cenotes. And our family's there, and I brought my mom and my dad and uh, our, my daughter and son-in-law. So we went swimming in a non-sacred cenote. And it was just amazing going through the caves. And it does bring a sense of wonder of the transcendent. But it also makes you wonder, is it possible to respect other cultures, but also say that maybe, maybe throwing your children and neighbors into a portal to die to appease the gods isn't right? But is it okay for one culture to impose its preferences on another culture? Or not unless there's transcendent truth above it all. So that's what we're going to explore today by looking at three wonders. 
The first wonder I want to look at is there's a basic belief. If we're going to compare the Mayan religion and a scientific modern people, we say, how silly. They think they're empowered corn. How silly. They think a cave will get to the afterlife. So we kind of think we're beyond that because our culture has a different religion. It doesn't call itself a religion. It calls itself facts, but it's really a philosophy. You could call it scientism or naturalism or materialism. It's the belief that the only thing that exists are things that you can touch, hear, taste, smell. Right? It's, it's, it's the five senses are true. Everything else is hearsay. And there was a basic belief since the 1850s that the more people got educated, the more people got scientific in their thinking, the more religion and myth would fade away. But that is not what's happened. Even a recent article in the Washington uh, Post said exactly that. Religion and spirituality is growing in interest. Oh, church attendance is occasionally down, but spiritual interest is up, and the church is growing radically among Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all around the world. That's not what people expected. Jack Goldstone said, sociologists jumped the gun when they said that the growth of modernization would growth of secularization and unbelief. It's not what we're seeing. People want and need religion. Why? Because science, as good as it is, it doesn't answer those questions. Who are we? What's true? What's broken the world? What happens when you die? Even John Lennon said it that way. He said, you know what? Rock and roll is going to replace faith and, and modernization is going to replace all that need for myth. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus right now, he says to the Beatles. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Hey, Jesus was all right, but his disciples, they were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins for me. So I want to compare the Mayan religion to our culture's current religion, what I'll call secularism or materialism or naturalism. It's kind of this atheistic idea that the only things that are true are the things you can test with your five senses. And I want to tell you that these don't, these don't answer our wonders, they wreck our wonders. Let me just give you four critiques of the wonder wreckers of materialism. There's nothing more than what's material. Number one. The first thing that it wrecks is that absolutes get wrecked. If you say to our culture currently, is there anything that's absolutely true? Our culture says, no, there's no such things as absolutes. You say, are you sure? Yeah. Are you absolutely sure? Yes, I'm absolutely sure there's no absolutes. There's one. It doesn't even meet its own standards. And two, you can simultaneously respect a Mayan culture or a different religion, but you have to say that when people throw their children into the water to appease the gods, that's just their preference. Our culture prefers, prefers to love your neighbor. Their culture preferred to eat your neighbor. <laughs> See the problem? You have preferences. You can call it best practices, but you can never call it absolutely over time and space, culture, right and wrong. And that's why you not only lose absolutes, you actually lose invisible attributes. Science itself is built on invisible attributes that you cannot test in a lab. The law of logic, could you test the law of logic in a lab and prove it with your five senses? No. Can you prove with your five senses the law of non-contradiction? No. There's all kinds of things that are invisible attributes that we all know exist. We presume they exist. We talk like they exist. Justice is one. Integrity, courage. These are all things that are invisible attributes that we assign to meaning because we know they're true. And they don't pass the five-fingered test. 
even the golden rule. We have a sense that people should treat people the way they want to be treated. Why is it people in all cultures and all times, where do we get that sense unless it's something beyond our cultures? Even the Mayans have that. They got another word I can't pronounce. Lakekalakan. <laughs> it's their way of saying, I am another yourself. It's kind of the literal translation of saying, I am yourself. And so I want to treat you like I am yourself. That sounds like the golden rule, doesn't it? And yet, though they know the golden rule, it doesn't look like they lived up to the golden rule, in that they killed their children, their neighbors, and their enemies in a pretty gruesome way. In this picture from the Makapichu, um, of Chichen Itza, rather, we'll do Makapichu in a few weeks, the Chichen Itza, you actually see a warrior, and in his hand, he's decapitated one of his neighbors. And you could die to appease the gods. You had to feed those things after all, those gods. But you also could die if you lost at a basketball game. I don't know if you saw in that early video, but they actually played basically hoops. And if you lost, <laughs> off with your head. Now you might say, well, hey, that's one way to, to take care of the losers. Are you saying that's a preference? Are you saying, no, there's something wrong with that? You're kind of getting at this idea that even the Bible would say that there's this standard of, good, of golden rule in every single society, and yet we also know we don't live up to it. The Bible would also say that even if your culture teaches you that that's okay, it's not okay. And you know in your heart it's not okay, that you shouldn't treat people like that. Also, if you build a God and you create a God, no matter how sincere you are, you know that the thing you created can't be your creator. You also know that if your God needs you, like needs to be nourished by you, then that can't be God because a God shouldn't need anything. Hmm. Number three, the third thing that gets wrecked is, is human rights. If you believe in racial justice, people shouldn't be treated based on their rights. If you believe in an idea of justice, if you believe that human beings have inherent value, that gets wrecked by... You can't prove that in a test tube. You can't prove that in a lab. That is a philosophical idea that can't be proved by science. In fact, there's many in a doctoral program in China even today, and China is not necessarily your Christian thinking hub, but even they are saying that the idea that every human being has inherent value, the only place you can get that is the Judeo-Christian ethic of what's called a magio deo, which is made in the image of God. If you remove that, you can say, well, people are helpful if they're productive, well, what if they're old? What if they're young? What if they're not productive? You end up with horrible, horrible things. And lastly, forgiveness gets wrecked just on a personal level. The reason I want to apologize when I do something wrong is because I agree there's a standard I broke and I need to apologize for not reaching that standard. And I'm willing to accept your apology because that sense of, of standard I broke, I know I break it too. I'm going to apologize to you because I know I'll probably need some forgiveness later. Now, there was a doctor, and very, very accomplished, even in his early 30s, and he specialized in helping people escort into the final terminal days of a terminal illness. He wrote a book called When Breath Becomes Air. And while he was helping people deal with the problem of death, he realized that all his science and all of his medical training, which was phenomenal, was not helpful at all 
when the patients became terminal. And the questions they needed answered and the questions and wonderings they had, he was not equipped for that. He didn't have any answers for the things that mattered. And then tragically, in his 30s, he developed a terminal illness. And now he became a patient as well as a doctor. And he began to realize, I do not have the answers I need. And he began a journey of the answers that, that science couldn't answer, the things the Mayans were asking and Christians were asking and Judaism was asking, well, who are we? What's wrong with the world? How, what happens when we die? How do we make sure we get to a good place? And he found himself on a journey as a scientist reading the claims of different civilizations. He read C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called the, uh, uh, A Grief Observed about losing his wife and losing his mom and how Christianity allowed him to grieve but also the hope he could see her again. See, if there is no afterlife, if this life is all there is, then the Bible says in Corinthians something we know to be true. If the dead are not raised, huh, you might as well eat and drink for tomorrow you die. No, 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 you want to do what's best for your kids and grandkids. Oh, sure, but three generations now, they're not going to remember you. thousand generations now, the whole universe is going to blow up. Nothing's going to matter. You might as well just live for pleasure, live for yourself, because if there's no next life, you're not going to be punished for doing anything wrong. You're going to be rewarded for anything right. That's what the Bible's saying. So into this story, we step Jesus. Because while the, the chicken eat, Chichen Itza, I've got chicken pizza in my head now. While the Chichen Itza has a cenote, this gateway to the portal, in Jesus' day, the Greeks and Romans had something similar. It was in Caesarea Philippi. They called it the Gates of Hades. And in Greek and Roman thought, Hades was not like, you know, hell. It was actually the place that good people and bad people went to get to the next world. That's why Hades protected the gate. Well, Jesus shows up at this place in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks a question. He turns to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, gigantic portal going down into the underworld, the Greeks and Romans believed, and he says, who do people say I am? Peter said, well, some people... Some people think you're Elijah, some people think of this, but I know you're the Christ. You're, you're, the, you're the one sent from God to come to earth to us. And Jesus says, you're on to something. But he says, you really want to understand why I'm here. I'm not just here to lead a rebellion. I'm not just here to do anything political like you think the Messiah is about. He goes on right after that and says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's what he calls himself, must suffer many things be killed. What? Messiah be killed? Yeah. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. This is way out of what they've thought about before. He's saying, what you've heard in myth, Quetzalcoatl, right? From that guy from the Mayans. When you've heard from Dionysus in the Greek culture that there should be, God needs to come and rescue us from ourselves and, and die and rise again. This is myths through all kinds of cultures. He goes, what you've heard in myth, I'm going to fulfill in history. See, religion and spirituality is not going to go away. Which brings us to our second wonder. Have you ever wondered why we want to be wonder-filled? Why do we need work to matter and life to matter? And, and, and if atheistic scientific philosophy is correct, how could a meaningless, random, irrational process create beings obsessed with meaning who think they can study rationally and hunger for something greater than just this life. It's almost like what you wonder about can awaken you 
not just a wonder wrecker, but a wonder waker. Awaken yourself to the meaning of meaning. Why do you want there to be meaning? Why is it your soul is saying there needs to be more, something more than just this life? And and you know who asks that question most? The people who have lots of money and lots of power. They've accomplished all their goals and say, it's just not enough. We got to wake up that we're made for something more. It's in every human being and every human civilization. Secondly, wake up to morality. We love the idea of being tolerant, but even when we say you ought to be tolerant to all cultures, you've created an absolute. You're acknowledging there's an absolute. We should treat people nicely. So even trying to speak it, you're waking up that there's reality. When somebody cuts in line for you or cuts in traffic, you acknowledge there's a standard. They should know that's not right. You're appealing to a standard of morality. I had a friend of mine who began attending our church 20 four years ago, 23 years ago, before I was even here. And in her journey, she believed people were basically good and basically did nice things. And then she began to encounter cruelty and evil. But she didn't have a box for evil. She didn't think there was such a thing as good and evil. But she began to experience severe, intentional cruelty. Somebody set out to destroy her personally and professionally. So somebody invited her to her church. She used to sit in the back row back at CCD. And every day she came in and she was wrestling with is there such a thing as good and evil? And if there is, it would make sense that what was happening to her was just evil, not just a preference, not just a difference of opinion. This was evil and wrong. And after two or three years of attending at Horizon, she began to be awakened not only to evil in other people, but like she didn't live up to her own standards and that she needed forgiveness and she needed God's help. And over time here at Horizon, which is our vision to help people you know, comfortably connect to God through the Bible, a community of growing Christ followers came around her and she became a follower of Jesus as she was waking up to evil, then waking up to grace, then waking up to God. I got a chance uh, to go down to some Mayan ruins when I was in Cancun, that one trip we took as a family. It's pretty beautiful. So we're taking a tour of this place. And you ever been at a place like this and you get one of those tour guides who can just make everything come alive? I mean, they tell stories so well that they transport you from where you are back to those days. You ever had a tour guide like that? Well, this was not one of those. This was the guy who's phoned it in. There's not any stories. It's like, I mean, this is like the most horribly boring thing ever. I can barely stay awake. I'm carrying the water in the backpack for the whole family because I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. So finally, I lean up against a tree just to try and stay awake. I'm, I'm listening to the other tour guides who are, so, who are actually interesting. And what are they saying? And, you know, as the day's going on, it's, it's like the backpack's getting heavier. It's just like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. The sun is so hot. This is so boring. Now, what I don't know, my daughter took this picture. I wasn't aware of it, is every time my son-in-law opened the backpack to take a drink of water, he was picking up coconuts <laughs> and putting another coconut in when he put the water back. So I wasn't just feeling tired. It wasn't feeling heavier. It was getting heavy because I'm carrying like seven coconuts, which is hilarious. But wrong. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's not the golden rule, right? You kind of know. You, you, you reference this, this sense of fairness. We all do it. And so in Corinthians, it says, listen, we know there's fairness. You've got to wake up to that. And wake up, you see it in art. You see it in music. You see it in story. Wake up 
to what's in your heart? Why is it that music, Mozarts and the classics, they speak to something transcendent you can feel? Art, why is it that art has these certain principles of what makes something beautiful and it represents reality, the parallelisms of reality? There's certain universal, invisible principles of beauty. Why is it in stories? Every good story has uh, something was good and it got bad and we had rising action and then we have climax and then falling action and resolution. Does that speak to the world that once was one way? It's currently broken, building to a crescendo and somebody will one day come and resolve it all? Is it possible that what you read in stories and art and music is pointing to something in your soul? See, the Bible says that its claims about facts the questions you're asking, it says, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to not understand the mystery of death. So in Corinthians, he writes, we're going to all be changed one day when we die. The mortal, our mortal bodies that are falling apart, can put on immortality. They're going to put on a different kind of body, an eternal body. And death, we're all scared of death, that's what Freud says, it's going to be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Who's going to defeat death, it says? Oh, Hades, the portal to the underworld. Where is your victory? One person's done it, not in myth, not in legend, but in history, thanks to God who did that through Jesus Christ. I know there's a, this obsession in America to think that all religions teach basically the same thing. What we're going to find in the series is that's just not the case. Let me just take the Mayans, Christianity, and atheism, and let me just, without much explanation this time, just give you the differences. When it comes to what happens when you die, the Mayans, you reincarnate into energy. You're not you anymore. Christianity, you're a three-in-one being made by your three-in-one father with a body, soul, and spirit, and you will be a body, soul, and spirit in eternity. You're going to resurrect to life. Atheism, what happens when you die? You rot to death. As Richard Dawkins says, DNA neither knows nor cares, so you dance to its music. You should be lucky to have lived at all. Who are you? You're empowered corn. Christianity, you're a three-in-one individual. Atheism, you're just an evolved animal. And the reason we can kill off cows is because we're more evolved than him. Maybe one day the X-Men will show up and they'll be more involved than us. Is it morally acceptable for them to kill us then if we're just evolved animals? Hmm. What about death? Mayans, death is an honor. Christianity, death is the enemy that God came to defeat. Atheism, death is the hero. How do you evolve but that every time you die, you get better? The Mayans, you want to know why you're suffering in your life? It's your fault. It's called karma. Christianity says, no, suffering is very complicated. It's the result of a broken creation that's out of alignment with its heavenly father. I'm out of alignment, so I do bad stuff. My neighbor does bad stuff. The drunk driver does bad stuff. Suffering is very complicated. Atheism, suffering is normal. As Richard Dawkins says, in a world of blind random chance, somebody's bound to get hurt. Get used to it. But we don't get used to it. We keep appealing that the world should be something different. What's the meaning of life? Follow the corn cycle. The Bible would say aligning yourself to the truth of who God is, your need for forgiveness, your inability to rescue yourself, using the gifts God's given you to accomplish his purpose. That's how you find purpose. For atheism, there's no higher meaning these are just chemicals in your brain telling you something. You can say to your wife, I love you, but love's not a real, real actual invisible thing. You just say, honey, I, I have chemical feelings towards you, <laughs> which is very lovely for poetry, I might add. 
So do you see what's going on? So it brings us to the third wonder. Why is it that human beings, from the Mayans to, to the Greeks and Romans, why is it we, we want there to be a wonderland? Why is it we want there to be an afterlife? Why is it we want a place that you never grow old, as Peter Pan says? Why do we want a place that there's no death and no destruction, no sadness? Why do we as human beings want that? Where do we get that? So let me jump you back to Caesarea Philippi. So if you see it on a map, it's just north of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Here's what it looks like. They've set up a gigantic worship center back there in Jesus' day to worship Hades. And it's gorgeous. Look at that. It's a beautiful section. And this is where people thought you went when you died. One of the gateways to Hades. And it's into that Jesus says the most important question you can answer in your life when you're thinking about death, is who do you think I am? I'm claiming to be God come to earth. I'm claiming that I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to literally die, literally be in a grave, and literally bodily come back to life, and I'm going to show people about it. And Peter says, you're the Christ. He says, you don't really understand what I'm going to do, but you got it. And upon that belief, upon that knowledge, what's he say? I also say to you, Peter, you're the rock. That rock is going to take on, that. what you're acknowledging is going to take on the rock of Hades. On this rock, I will build my church, build my community is what church means. And the gates of Hades, the, the, the real death problem all human beings have, will not prevail against what I'm going to do. See, what every story, every movie you've ever seen, at some point the hero dies, Harry Potter dies, he comes back to life. Why is that the story in all of our movies and all of our stories? It's because we know something in our heart says we need resurrection. And those stories and myths point to something that really happened. And Christianity is not philosophy, it claims to be history. And if it's history, you can check out the facts. Now that gate of Hades, is what the Greeks called it, what the Romans called it was the gates of Pluto, because the god Pluto is the same as the gate of Hades. So a gates of Hades is also called the Plutonium. So let me take you to Turkey as we're traveling around a little bit. I got a chance to visit Turkey several years ago, and here in Turkey is this gorgeous, gorgeous section of Turkey. And, and when you look at that picture, what do you think the temperature is? Now I'll give you a hint here. This place is called the Herophilus today. It was called Laodicea in its day. Who wants to guess the temperature, raise a hand, is a 50 or below? 50 or below. Any 50 or below? Okay, a few 50 or below. Yeah, all right. Who thinks it's uh, freezing cold? Any freezing colds? Like, Chad, you're setting me up. I know something's going on here. I'm there that day. This is what it looks like. It's 100 degrees outside. You are not looking at snow at all. You're not looking at ice at all. These are hot springs. People are bathing in the hot springs, and all of that white is actually calcium deposits from thousands of years of water being poured over these rocks. And people travel from around the world to this place, in this location, to bathe in those hot springs. So Beth and I are there. It must not have been 100 degrees. I'm wearing a sweater. So maybe it was, maybe it was a, a 65 degrees, 70 degrees, whatever. It's very warm outside. And we make our way over. And just on the other side of these hot springs is a plutonium. And we arrive at the plutonium. That's the Roman name for the gates to Hades. And same thing. The Romans thought this is the gateway to the other life. And the Bible shows up 
and it writes a letter. The last book of the Bible is written to the people living in Laodicea, this location, who believed in the gates of Hades as the way to get to the next world. And here's what it says. Now, Jesus died. He's presented himself alive. He's shown it to 500 witnesses at once and many, many others. And in this letter, here's what it writes to those people. I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death because I did it. What people wanted it to be true, what people hoped were true, I did it. So put your trust not in what I say, put your trust in what I did. So here's my challenge as we go through these seven wonders together. I would just encourage you to wonder. Kind of wander in your mind where you wonder. Wander toward the things you want to be true. Why, why do I think there's a right and wrong? And I know there's a golden rule, and I tell myself I keep the golden rule, but do I really keep the golden rule? I'll just tell you for me, I have never, ever, 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 ever kept the golden rule for five minutes of my life. That's me. Am I really as generous to others as I am to myself? <laughs> do I give other people the benefit of the doubt the way I give myself the benefit of the doubt? <laughs> am I as patient with others' mistakes as I am with my own mistakes? Not a chance. So I simultaneously know the standard and I don't meet the standard. And I want you to wander in your mind, wander in your heart. What are the things you want to be true? Is there a God who's willing to rescue us when we can't rescue ourselves? Is there a God who did love us, who came to earth to make sure we knew the facts? What do you wish to be true? What do you want to be true? What do you wonder if it could be true from books and music and art? And I want you to just take some moments in our culture that just says, focus on the five senses and begin to wander toward those questions, wander toward the answers that are out there, and ask yourself, when I gave you that list of the three different worldviews, which one rang true with your head, and which one rang true in your heart? When something bad happens, does it feel like the right answer that you're getting what you had coming to you? Karma? When someone dies by a drunk driver, does it feel and does it think true that, yeah, they probably did something bad in their last life? Or does that somehow violate a greater sense of justice? I want you to wander toward the things you wonder about as we go through this series. And here's what's amazing. Christians believe that there is a heaven. And God came to tell us about heaven. He gave us evidence to prove what he did. But we're not supposed to just kind of hang out and wait for heaven. We're actually supposed to take the values of heaven and bring them to earth. Remember Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, on earth as it is in heaven. Until we get to heaven, based on what he did, we're going to act like heaven here. We're going to serve people. We're going to love people. We're going to help people. So for the last 20 years, our church has gone to a place known for its sacred cenotes. Hundreds of miles in Belize, 10 gigantic cenotes there. And it's there followers of Jesus, doctors have come. Yeah, to talk about heaven, but more importantly, to be heaven. Because we believe there's a place with golden streets, where the streets have no name. We want people to see it in the way we love 
and the way we serve. 20 years bringing heaven to earth. That's why I want you to wander toward what you're wondering about. Maybe that's exploring spiritual questions. Maybe you see what we've been doing in Belize for 20 years. You're like, I've heard about that for years. I'm going to wander toward asking questions. Maybe you want to go on a Belize trip as a doctor, as a nurse. Or maybe you're like just somebody who helps kind of keep people in line. I went there and just played soccer with kids and did some magic and juggling. Whatever your gifts are, we can use it. Wander toward ways of, of, of just being a servant and being someone who loves people in other cultures. It's powerful. And maybe you've just been coming to the church and you like our services, but you don't really know a lot of people. Maybe you want to wander toward wondering how to connect. We have some women's groups starting up. Just a chance to kind of get some people. We're going to talk about prayer together. And it's really a chance just to get some people who know your name for a few weeks. And there's details in the program, but just connect and say, I want to kind of wander and I'm going to check it out. I'll just go one week. I don't have to stick, commit the whole thing. I just want to try it out. Or maybe you, you were last night you came and heard Ken Kington, who just had a great time. We laughed out loud. We had such a great time. And like, I'd like to meet some other guys around here. I thought all Christians were fuddy-duddy, you know, arrogant, you know, finger-waggers. I kind of like some of the people here. Ken's going to be back speaking here in about two weeks. And then that night, Sunday nights and Monday mornings, he's doing something called Authentic Manhood. Great chance to meet some guys, either Sunday night or Mondays, and just kind of wander toward getting connected in a little small way. All right, thanks for being here. Join us next week for Wonder Number 2.